previously. Oh, oh, we got breaking news. Breaking news. Uh-oh, uh-oh. The Cubs? No, don't. Signing Jason Hayward. Is Alex, this a joke? Are you, okay, no, I mean dead serious. Uh, who just tweeted it? I'm seeing it on my feed, too. This is a lie. I'm, I'm on Twitter right now. I don't see it anywhere. How much does this hurt, Alex? First you give them Lackey, now you give them Hayward. All right. And now, the conclusion. Welcome back, baseball fans, to episode 42 of the Banished to the Pen podcast, a near-weekly audio adventure from the website Banished to the Pen, a group baseball blog produced by fans of the podcast Effectively Wild. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, at NatsGM.com on Twitter and the Baron of All Baseball Podcasts. This week, I am happy to welcome back to the show two veterans of the Banished to the Pen podcast and a couple of uh, very solid contributors to the website. I've got Ross Buckowitz with me, and I've got Nick Stranges. Ross and Nick, uh, welcome back to the show, guys. Glad to be back. me, Ryan. Thank you, guys. First and foremost, at the top of the show, I want to thank you for joining me uh, during the holidays and clearing off a little time. And uh, I think we're gonna we got plenty to talk about in the baseball world here. So uh, I, I'm gonna uh, let's get started. First and foremost, though, before we dive in, uh, I'm gonna have you guys introduce yourselves. I know you guys have been on a couple times, but uh, maybe our listeners missed the show or what have you. So, uh, Ross, I'm gonna start with you alphabetically. Uh, just kind of introduce yourself, where people can find you on Twitter, where they can find your work day job, anything you want to share, my friend. All right. Hey, I'm Ross Bucklitz. I'm, uh, I live in Milwaukee and I'm a Brewers fan. I'm on Twitter, just at Ross Bucklitz, uh, all lowercase. And, um, by day and I'm accountant by night with this, it's, uh, mostly Twitter, you know, some on Banish of the Pen. I don't, haven't really written anywhere else for a couple of years. So, but yeah, uh, one note of warning. If you do follow me on Twitter, it's not just baseball. Uh, pretty much all Wisconsin sports, so if you don't like that sort of thing, uh, might not be the best follow. Well, I'm excited that we found the one Brewers fan, so that's exciting. So, uh, But in all seriousness, thanks, Ross, for coming back. It's good to have you. Uh, Nick, kind of same question. Uh, introduce yourself to the internet. Uh, well, I'm on Twitter, at CapsOrphans, and I wrote in the past more about the Braves, because I live in Atlanta for Advantage to the Pen, but I'm a mostly a Cubs fan probably. And uh I'm also a big Kentucky Wildcats basketball fan. So um excuse me if you follow me on Twitter uh for me talking about something that uh I think a lot of the country doesn't follow very closely. Okay. But um yeah, I'm just excited about uh you know the one year anniversary of Banish the Pen and uh, hopefully have another great year. Yeah, that that was quite a celebration we had last time and uh, uh Nick, have I asked you what Caps Orphans what the uh origin mm. of that is? Yeah, so Caps as in uh, so Cap Ant Anson. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, so right, so he was the player, manager, owner, whatever of of the Cubs, and a, they were the orphans. They were first the Chicago Caps uh, after him. Then they became the orphans because the sports writers picked up on that they were playing like a bunch of orphans when he left. And finally, some uh, sports writers said they looked like a bunch of orphan Cubs. I think was how they described it. And eventually, the Cubs name took off and um so it's something that uh a, a, another cubs fan clued me in on and i actually own capsorphans.com if anyone wants to buy it <laughs> i haven't used it so it's uh, pristine and ready to go that's really cool you learn something new every day i'd never known that that part of the story or i'm glad i asked very cool yeah i just learned it in the last year or two so <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's start with the uh, let, let me start with the Cubs, if I can. Uh, I think they've probably had the biggest news uh, probably since the last time we recorded signing Jason Hayward. Um, what was it? Eight years, one hundred and eighty four million dollars. All these all these signings kind of blend together to me a yeah. little bit. And That's we have, about right. It's a we, strange signing because uh, he gets like a 20 million dollar bonus deferred. Um, it's uh, backloaded even though it's actually a three-year or an opt-out after the first three years then there's another opt-out later so it's kind of like the david price trade so we could be doing this again in three years um you know someone will have the chance to sign both of them again in three years uh we had thought we had broken this uh signing the last time we were recording yeah and um eric being the incomparable heel of banished to the pen decided to uh let our friend alex know um 
that there was rumors going around about a signing. That was one of the uh, great moments in the uh, first year of the Banish to the Pen podcast. Um, by the way, congratulations to Alex, who got a new job with SB Nation's uh, St. Uh, St. Louis Cardinals uh, site. I believe it's Viva Alberto. So congratulations. It's a great site, too. Uh, it's got some of my favorite probably SB Nation posts uh, ever. So I just never pronounce the name right. As we all know, I can't pronounce <laughs> anything. But uh, it is a tremendous site and uh, a, a just a great uh, feather in the cap for Alex, and uh, we can also take a little pride in it too, because uh, you know, banish to the pen. We're going to take some credit for it as well. So, okay, sorry about that uh, little uh, digression aside. So, uh, Nick, what are we thinking about? It just let's start at just as a Cub fan. Well, your thoughts on the signing? I, I was thrilled. Uh, I think that a lot of my friends that are Cubs fans started to get greedy when Ben Zobra signed and when they traded Castro, freeing up that. Uh, so kind of a break-even point between the money on those two transactions. And then it looked like uh, there was a chance they were looking at outfielders. And I would have never even thought about hoping for, say, Jason Hayward or Alex Gordon or Justin Upton going into the maybe this last season. I figured they'd be another year away from signing that big piece. But after what they did this year, I think we all got a little greedy. And uh, it's pretty exciting. And I think that uh, he fits perfectly in the Cubs lineup. Uh, hopefully he can bat lead off or towards the top of the lineup. And if he ends up hitting for power, that's great. But otherwise, we've got a great leadoff hitter to replace Dexter Fowler. And I think the Cubs defense is really what needs the most help. I mean, they, they do a great job of positioning and they do a great job with the way they move guys around. So you have a bunch of middle infielders that hopefully can adjust to different positions. But... Other than, say, like Addison Russell, I don't know if they have a top-tier defender at any given position. So I think that's an area that this really helps them with because uh, you're not going to win every game 6-2. to two. There's going to be some days where they get cold. And I think that the pitching staff you know, would like a little help. And uh, I'm, I'm a nerd for, for good defense. So <laughs> and that's pretty exciting. And it, it also actually made my Braves friends happy uh, because – they didn't want to see Hayward signed with the Nationals. So I don't know how you felt about losing out on that, because I know they were a late, uh, a late comer to that conversation. Yeah, and it sounds like uh, if you read the media reports, they might have been the top uh, bidder for Hayward. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very curious, and, and I was curious to hear your thoughts, because I, I don't know how I would have felt if, if the Nationals had ended up signing him for eight years <laughs> and $200 million. I mean, goodness, when I think of $200 million players, I think of the real elites of the elites in our sport. And like you said a second ago, you're, you're a sucker for defense. Uh, I don't know that I'm the believer in, well, in some of the defensive metrics that make. Well, I think too, if he goes to Washington, right, he kind of has to play center field most of the time. And I think there's an opportunity in Chicago for him to stay in right field where he's great instead of going to center field where he's just kind of a maybe average or and a I've little been, above average and he'd maybe get hurt. You know, playing all those games where he's got to cover a lot of ground, I worry about that. That's a that's a great point. I've been kind of trumpeting the idea of of putting Bryce Harper back in center field, but that may be another conversation for another day. Uh, certainly on this podcast or somewhere else. But yeah, I think that uh, I, I'm a little. I think that he's a much better fit for the Cubs. I mean, I think Jason Hayward works for most. I, I mean, 30 teams in baseball could probably put him somewhere in their outfield. But uh, yeah. and I I love the. The, actually the opt-out because I think if he gets to the point where he decides at you know three years from now he wants to opt out and he can get more money that means he's played really well I would think and the Cubs have had three good years of Jason Hayward which is uh, as much as I could hope for I guess because you know he's been hurt and not just hurt missing games but hurt and playing not as well as he could have we saw that in Atlanta where he hurt his wrist and he just kind of disappeared on the you know offense side of the ball for uh, almost a season. So yeah, we'll I will see what happens. What are your thoughts, Ross? I want to tag you in here, get, get you, get your thoughts. Well, as a Brewers fan, I was definitely disappointed when uh, I saw Hayward um, sign with the Cubs, because I feel like the, uh, the contingents of Cubs fans that go to a lot of games at Miller park are a little more confrontational, let's say, than the ones that actually go to games at Wrigley. Cause you know, attended a few games at Wrigley and uh there it's just a more pleasant experience with the Cubs fans at Wrigley so I think there's when the Cubs are very good the ones that show up to Miller Park are the uh 
they're the ones talking a lot of trash, starting fights, stuff like that. So, you know, now that the Cubs are going to be, you know, possibly the best team in baseball with Hayward and Zobris in the fold, I wasn't happy about that. And then uh, my big thing is uh, the way that this contract was structured, I, I thought he was going to get close to 200 million, closer to 200 million. Um, I know, so it's 187, but then the way Major League Baseball calculates the um, present value of a any deferred compensation is that they uh, assume like a 5% interest rate. So the actual value of it is just, I think I saw $178 million roughly. So, you know, that's a $20 million gap, and I think it's kind of showing that the, the value of the opt-out um, to some of these guys where, you know, especially if you're Jason Hayward, he's, what, 27 years old? Like, he's still going to be in his prime when that first opt-out comes. So he could very well get another, you know, six, seven, two hundred million dollar deal, and especially if the TV revenue kind of keeps ticking up a little bit, which I think in the near term that should continue to happen, that um, you're really seeing that uh, players do value, like, you know, not put a monetary value on that necessarily, but they definitely uh, value that. So I was very interested by that structure that deal, which I mean, this whole conversation, you can totally tell I'm an accountant. Yeah, and Ross, I, I think that's a great point because that's probably the most interesting thing to me about this signing too is, is kind of the encompassing of what it means for the offseason. Now, like you're saying, Zach Granke has been so successful with his opt-outs and he's going to earn close to $300 million in his baseball career and, and God bless him. I, I think that you're seeing, like you're saying, teams are, or pardon me, uh, the players are commanding these opt-outs more so than than maybe even top dollar, which we never would have seen, shoot, two years ago, let alone five years ago. Well, yeah, I think if, as the, even if they're not getting as high of a share of the revenue as they have in the past few years, just simply because the the pie is growing, what the players are making is growing. As I mean, if you're already making, you know, $20 million a year, you can leave two, three million per year on the table to have that opt-out where you'll get another chance at a big deal at the end. Whereas, you know, even a few years ago, if they're making $10, 15000000 million a year, if, the, if you really, really are looking for, like, not just life-changing money for you, but life-changing money for you and your kids and even your grandkids, then they had to maximize the dollar value of the contract where now... You can leave money on the table. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure Hayward left money on the table. He still got generational life-changing money for his family. And to build off your point, Ross, the other thing that I'm finding fascinating is, and we saw it a little bit with Scherzer last offseason. We've seen it some of the with some of the bigger signings. Price comes to mind as well. Is teams are getting a lot more creative with the contracts they're doing. I mean, Hayward today, I think we saw 20 million is a signing bonus, but, but it's deferred. Perhaps mm-hmm. you might, you could probably give a better explanation of what that means than certainly I would ever understand. <laughs> and, but Granky has some deferred money as well, right? It's part of his deal. And I didn't catch how that was going to work. So, I mean, I thought I saw 60 million deferred with Granky. I could have that wrong. Like I say, all these signings blend together, but. Uh, it, and I know, yeah, Scherzer had a lot of deferred money in his deal al- last year as well. Almost half of it. Almost half. And I think that's, and maybe that's what I want to get you guys to comment on. Is this the new frontier that we're seeing? Is these front offices are a lot smarter? And I'm using air quotes, but they're more business savvy. Maybe this is where they're going to be one of the big benefits to this, you know, intelligence that's coming into the game. And I'm using a lot of air quotes here, guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. Um, yeah, I think you can... Um, with the deferred money, especially, well, this is the trap that got the uh, um, the Mets with Bonilla. Is if you're if you can defer twenty million dollars, you know, if you can put that in the stock market right now, you might make seven, eight percent over the year. I mean, you're obviously taking risks, but you can make a lot more money on that than you'd have to. You know, they'll only have to set aside twelve million dollars to pay off twenty because you're making more returns than the way they. have figure that deferral, like I was saying, the 5% earlier. 
and it just kind of gives them a little more wiggle room if they don't have the budget. Like I know that's something the Brewers have done um, in recent years with uh, they did with the Ramos Ramirez and Kyle Loesch, where they could make those signings that they might not necessarily fit in the budget. Um, and you know they're kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit, but I mean, Mark Antanasio is making money. Uh, Tom Ricketts is making money. They can uh, afford to do that. And just with the, where you can do the funny structures too, um, I think does have a lot to do with the fact that the players are just making a lot more money now that they might be willing to do that if they don't need to. Like I was saying a little earlier, they don't need to take the most money. So they can kind of factor in other decisions. And then I think there's also a little bit of the agents like to say like, oh, look how much money I got for my client. Because even though we know it's uh, kind of the more informed fan understands how this works a little bit better. Like the masses just see that headline number. The same thing you see in like football where all they report is the years and the total value of the contract. They don't actually report that in football, you know, it's non-guaranteed deal. They, Sure, it's a $100 million contract for this quarterback. He's only going to see $40 million worth of that before he gets offloaded. Kind of the same thing, that they're going to report a $187 million contract. They're not going to say, oh, really, it's $10 million less because of the time value of money. Because, you know, they're already snoring by the time you read through that much. So uh, as you see more of the analytically inclined, I think you're going to keep seeing that, especially because a lot of their background is in finance, statistics, you know, they're coming from the Ivy League, where they're more naturally trained for this versus the old baseball man mentality, um, where they're trying to find the best, you know, more of the best player and then figure out the dollars. These guys are more saying, maybe might see a little more, figure out the dollars, then find the player um, yeah, kind of thing. And especially, It feels more like investment banking than it feels like to me to baseball in certain ways, which is not a knock. It just feels like we're almost growing up in a certain way. I mean, like David Stearns first got into baseball working in the labor relations department of the uh, with MLB or he had the internship, but his first big time job was in baseball was in the labor relations department of the actual league offices. So, I mean, he was working on the collective bargaining agreement. I mean, he's, he's trying to tell me somebody like that isn't going to come up with a funny way to uh, get a contract done that appeases all sides. Well, and I think he's definitely going to. And Andrew Freeman worked, you know, as a heavy duty money manager on Wall Street and, mm-hmm. and all those guys, you know, Sternberg with the Rays as well, kind of building building off that same point. Um, I don't know if you guys have any more that you want to comment on Hayward, but I did want to get into a little bit, if we could just are you surprised that now that Hayward and Zoberst are off the market, we're still looking at a free agent market filled with Cespedes and up and uh, Alex Gordon, uh, Geraldo Parra, pardon me, uh, Chris Davis, Ian Desmond. Uh, it, it feels like very few of the bats have gone off the market right now. I, I don't know if either one, maybe we'll right. love. So we haven't heard anything yeah. about Justin Upton so far, right, in the public. I mean, I haven't read any rumors about anybody talking to him yet or, you know, being in on him, which is surprising. And I've heard less um, on Cespedes than I even have on Upton. Right. Yeah, exactly. Upton, Cespedes. Uh, I mean, Chris Davis, we've heard a little bit that he wants a lot of money. I think it's a lot more than I would want my team to sign him for. Uh, but you think if you can give a first baseman, granted, he's like the best power hitter available in terms of actual good hitter. I mean, maybe Chris Carter can hit the ball farther, but, uh, you know, Justin Upton can play left field and hit 25 home runs, maybe and get on base, you know, and, and doesn't have the, the high risk. I, I don't know. I'm just, I don't think he is going to get as much money as Davis, but I'm just surprised that teams aren't poking and seeing what he wants right now. And, and I'm with, to your point with the way that Samarja just got paid, where they were still kind of paying him for what, what, you know, some perceived upside. I still yeah. think Justin Upton's got a superstar season in him. He's, he's only, he's 27, right? I mean, like if this is, Hayward's 26-year-old season, and, and Upton's like 27. I just, I don't see the, uh, so, Upton's not the defender that Hayward is. No question no, no, about no, it, no, by any stretch. He's still young. But, uh, you know, he's still coming into his prime, and obviously he's not the player we thought or hoped he would be, but um, 
I still I just feel like we haven't heard anything at all about what's going on with him. And if he got in the right spot, I still feel like he could put together a two or three year stretch that could really be if it's not MVP worthy. You know, I know we've got Trout and Harper and so many great players, but I certainly think that he has a couple of all star seasons in him if he gets in the right spot. Sure. I mean, if he goes to a team, you know, like an AL East team or some team that has the right kind of dimensions for him and he starts hitting a lot of home runs or get some players ahead of him that he can drive in, it's probably going to drive up his perceived value in a, in a few years. You know, it's almost like maybe he should take the shorter term deal possibly and go for that big payday. I, I don't know. This this question uh, just jumped to my mind, but I, but I'll ask it. Of the three guys I just mentioned, Cespedes, Upton, and Gordon, who would you most want for your team? Let's assume that money is probably going to be, let's call it fairly equal. Uh, I would probably go with Alex Gordon because I think I, I maybe opposite to you believe in the defense. Um, and I, I think that his skill set is more stable. And I'd rather get the guy that's stable that can you know run, play defense, hit for a little bit of power um, and, and not have the high risk, you know, uh, profile like Cespedes um, or, you know, maybe Upton even where uh, Upton, I'm a little worried he's going to turn into just a statue in the outfield pretty soon. Uh, if, if, you know, the way things have been going lately. So, and maybe I just think Alex Gordon is more exciting. I don't know. <laughs> maybe that's part of it. Cause I've, I've been watching him with the Royals for the last couple of years and maybe the media is getting to me. <laughs> Well, you can't go wrong with any of these three, but I, I think those are all good know. points. Ross, wh- who would you take? I think I'd just go with Upton being the youngest if it was uh, money being equal. You know, you've got Gordon's in his age 31 season, and I think Cespedes is either 30 or 31. I didn't look too closely at what his birthday is, but, you know, Upton being a couple years younger than each of them, you know, you got two more relatively prime years out of him, and then... uh Especially with Gordon, I mean, I'm a big believer in the defensive metrics uh, in terms of directionality. But if you, I think if you're at a poor fielding position like left field and you're good to competent, you're going to be a little bit overrated on the defensive metrics because they'll put just absolute terrible statue defenders that are definitely should be playing first base or maybe even DHing out in left field thinking they can kind of hide them a little bit. That even though Gordon's obviously a very, very good defender, but I think his value is a little overstated because they compare to each other. Since they're just comparing, you know, left fielder to left fielder, that uh, they're maybe a little bit more extreme than they should be. So I think I'd knock him down a little bit to that. And then, like Nick was saying with Dustin, that's like, that's such a volatile um uh, skill set that he has that you never know from year to year. Like with Detroit, wasn't he? Uh, his on base was down near 300, maybe even under 300 for a while. And I know there's the narrative that he saved the Mets season, but really he kind of hit the same with the Mets as he had prior to the trade. And yeah, he it was, was, I thought that was a little overblown. Yeah, he was great yeah. for the first six weeks he was with the Mets, and then it kind of mm-hmm. went downhill. Right. I think he was a good fit in maybe Oakland where their you know, defense is a big deal there and you need outfielders that can run and cover that ground and throw from one corner to the other corner. I mean, that was scary when they had Reddick and, and Cespedes in the same outfield. True. Um, I also but, think Cespedes gets a little bit of the hype is greater than the reality because mm-hmm. he plays the game oh, yeah. with such flair and he's got, you know, he's got the great name and he's got Cespedes family barbecue. Shout out to them. They do the great site. I think it, he gets a little bit of the hype machine behind him perhaps Uh, and i wouldn't want to give him the kind of money that we're talking about i mean i think all three of these guys are going to get you know 100 plus million dollars i would be really concerned that he could go albert hainsworth on us really quickly if he got paid yeah he's a really exciting player i don't get me wrong i I love watching him i know just i remember years ago when uh, kevin goldstein used to talk about you know that that's the whole reason we had the Jonas spedis tracker uh on twitter and (laughs) It's still, you know, I still watch him play to get the shot because he can run down balls. He can, you know, throw a, throw a rocket, you know, and uh, he can hit a ball a mile. But it's, you know, the, the whole problem is what's the what's going to happen? You just don't know. He's a career. I think it was 320 on base and uh, actually under 500 slugging. So in this, you know, 
offense is down a bit now, so he's still an above a pretty well above average hitter. But I don't know if you want to give him elite money when he's gone from you know an under 300 on base percentage in uh, 2014 to then what he did in 2015. That I mean, I know they want to bet on upside, but if he's kind of exiting his prime, I don't know if he's somebody I'd want to commit a high dollar amount in uh, a lot of years to. Well, and it's a cheap shot, but. This was the same guy that was traded for one year of Rick Porcello not 12 months ago. Let's not forget that, you know, his reputation has somehow exploded in the last 12 months. Right. Well, yeah, four different teams in a, in a short uh, span of time. And so you got to wonder, too, what teams think about uh, interacting with him. And I think sometimes Cuban players get a raw deal because they Very get thrown right into the fire. Very and true. It, it, it just, it's just different, you know, the way that... Uh, um, Someone comes to America and there's, you know, no adjustment time at all. It's, it's kind of unfair. But for whatever reason, maybe there wasn't an adjustment, you know, on, on somebody's part there is a, a little bit concerning, I'm sure, for uh, someone that wants to give them that kind of money. Um, well, let me wrap this uh, this part of the segment up. I, I want to ask one final question since we've been talking about these three outfielders, uh, you know, the last few minutes. Let's make a prediction. Let's put ourselves on the spot if we can. Who gets the most money of the three of them? And I'm not talking per year. I'm just talking straight up most dollars in the bank. Uh, go ahead, Nick. I'll start with you, bud. I, I, uh, I'm just going to yeah take a wild guess. I think it's going to be Cespedes. Um, okay. I think the hype is going to follow him somewhere, and someone's, someone's going to pay him. Okay. I got that. Ross? Yeah, I, I think I'd have to agree just because uh, Gordon – being a little bit older and uh, Upton, I could see him doing kind of the same, a similar deal to uh, Hayward, like we were talking about earlier, where he'll take that opt out, maybe a little less money, knowing that in three years he'll still be 30, 31, so he can get that other crack at a big contract. Whereas just even being a couple years older with Suspidus and Gordon, they're both going to try and max out their value, knowing it's probably their last giant contract. And I just think uh, Suspidus will get a little bit more than Gordon. Right, and Cespedes, there's no qualifying offer, right, as opposed to the other two? He definitely got traded midseason, yes. Yep, yeah, traded midseason, so no. So that going. Well. I, I think, Ross, you kind of stole where I was leaning towards. I think Upton probably finds one of these, I don't want to call it a pillow contract, but I think he finds something where he's got an opt-out in two or three years. Might be with Washington, frankly. Makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, I think the most money, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna go off the board. I'm going to go with Gordon. I just for whatever reason, I think Gordon gets a little more than Cespedes does. Maybe Cespedes only gets four years versus five for Gordon. So I feel very unconfident with that, but I'm going with Alex Gordon getting the most. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could go either way. Yeah, I think you're right. So. All right, guys, uh, I want to transition if I can, because I really want to talk about this next topic a little bit. Uh, Nick, you've got a big article coming out uh I want to preview it a little bit and not steal your thunder. So I want to just talk a little OOTP with you and uh, give you the floor for your, you know, let you talk about oh, sure. your upcoming article. So, Nick, uh, yeah, so we uh, are hoping to do two things. One is I think someone's going to write a little uh, the final Back to the Future post you'll see this year, and hopefully the best one, uh, just talking about baseball 30 years later uh, and, and society 30 years later. Um, I think seeing the the Royals come back around is you know part of that as well. And so separately, I'm going to write sort of a, a, a let's play tutorial, of the uh, best teams of 1985 versus the best teams of 2015 using out of the park baseball as the simulation engine. And um, so out of the park is a fun and immersive simulation game, but it is, pretty overwhelming as i know we were talking before the podcast ryan about how it's uh, a steep learning curve and so part of this is to kind of maybe hopefully help people like you who are into baseball in in a way that a lot of fans aren't you know just deeply into it and may want to make use of of that kind of a game uh there's also a a christmas special coming up for out of the park where you can get uh get on a really good deal and you can get i think a couple of different licenses for, for cheap. So we'll have a referral link as part of the article. And if you buy it through Banish the Pen, hopefully you'll uh, help support the site. Uh, nobody gets paid anything. So it'll, it'll go towards, uh, you know, keeping the site up for another year. 
And the idea, like I said, is just to get some of the, the best teams from the 80s and, and or from 85 and today and match them up. Um, Out of the Park lets you import teams, historical teams, to play against uh, teams from any other given season. I think it has a database going back to 1900. Um, it's pretty complicated because you can play in different ways. So you can just set up a league the way I'm going to and be like the commissioner and say, okay, uh, I want to have these rules about the DH, about transactions, about finances, and then just kind of see what happens. Um, and they have a pretty good uh, database of stats that lets it uh, capture how good a player you know was in terms of their potential in any given year. Um, or you can get in a little closer and be like the general manager of a team and try to trade with other other teams controlled by the computer or um, you can draft players you can sign players it has a developmental engine so if you started in 2015 you could start with the cubs and uh, you'd have javier baez and, and chris bryant waiting in the wings and you decide when they're ready to come up um, or you can go down to the management level where you can actually you know set the lineups manage the games so it has a game simulation engine where you go into the game you can decide how long you want to keep the starter in you can decide if you want to pitch around batters if you want to sacrifice bunt if you want to shift all those things go into it so it's it's pretty good i think that um you know a lot of people have said well there there are certainly flaws because it's a, a a massive undertaking for just like a very small team mostly just one developer uh in europe actually and uh, but there's probably not a lot of money in it compared to say like MLB the Show, where right. uh, probably uh, you know the profit is not huge. And uh, I just think it's it's a fun game, and uh, it's a fun way to kind of show off um, you know what it can do for people who maybe want to check it out. Um, and I think it'd be fun to kind of just see what what it thinks about taking you know the '85 Royals and put them in the same league as like the 2015 Royals. And, and see who comes out ahead. Um, Are you people have used it to do funny things. Like somebody did, a, I think at SB Nation, a simulation of an all Adam Dunn team versus an all Juan Pierre team. Uh, be worth looking up. Uh, people um, think that would be interesting. I, I thought it was. Anyway. Are you an avid player of this game before this well, kind of opportunity came I, I don't do a lot up? with the single player game. I think that's where most, like, it's got a lot of celebrity endorsements. So I think uh, Kurt Schilling, which, you know, he's, very controversial right now, but he was an, an early avid supporter of it. Uh, I believe one of the Boston Red Sox partners has endorsed it, as well as some other players are big into it. Um, and I'm more into, I've been in an online league for like five years, and it kind of becomes like a second job, or you know, you can take it as lightly or as heavily as you want. With the online leagues, that's where I think it really comes to life, because it's it's like playing fantasy baseball, except you get a chance to build a team, you know, and, and get players, you know, you draft the players, you can trade with your fellow GMs with humans instead of just beating up on the, the artificial intelligence for the next 20 seasons. Um, you know, you may want to go through some rebuilding. You may want to sign, you know, Jason Hayward. <laughs> um, you can make your own fictional league where the game just generates players for you. And uh, I've been lucky to be in this league for five years it's uh, just to plug it it's the rising star league on simcentral.net i think we have some openings <laughs> and uh there's a guy that's been running it he does a great job of, of keeping the talent in check so um it doesn't feel like you have to build the world's greatest team just to compete and you don't need a 200 million dollar payroll just to compete with the other players that are already there so yeah i mean i've, I've been into it for a while um and it, it's hard to it's hard to describe sometimes i didn't want to spend the whole podcast talking about it uh but uh, I just thought since we were going to try to you know, plug it on the website, that it'd be worth talking about now. Yeah, Ross, have you ever played the game? Because I, I tried to give it a shot a couple of years ago, and it was, and I'm glad Nick is doing this piece, as I said to you guys off air. It, it was just intimidating to me, just kind of walking in. I didn't know even, I felt like I was just walking in and I was going from, you know, kindergarten to college all of a sudden. It just seemed like it was so intense. Yeah, I had, uh, I think it's 2013, for me. Yeah, yeah. I um, in twenty thirteen, I had what I I did mostly the uh, manager mode where I did right from the beginning where um, I the first year no job offered. Then I got I think a rookie ball. You know, next year I got promoted up to A ball, then double A. So it's definitely an immersive experience where um, I would say instead of thinking of it like 
against the show. It's more like a electronic version of like Stratomatic or mm. something like that. And right, right. It's got a graphic. It's a lot of fun, but but it's all text. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tough. Well, it's like yeah, a, it's, I don't know if you've ever seen the what's the big game with soccer. It's like uh, the franchise soccer manager uh, or football manager, I think is what it's called. And uh, mm -hmm. that's what that is for me. It's it's a similar idea. Uh, it, it's you know for someone that wants to get into soccer but doesn't understand it, it's it's crazy. All right, I'm going to ask you to give a hypothesis of what when you play these 85 teams versus the 2015 teams, what are you hypothesizing that you're going to see? Um, well, you have an 85, so you have kind of defense and pitching coming back around again, right? And so part of this, the problem is that the game engine is going to going to have some biases. But I think usually players like George Brett, you know, is going to play really well. Um, if Ozzie Smith, you know, just like when you talked about playing MLB The Show, like sometimes Jason Hayward wins the MVP and sometimes he doesn't hit very well because it's a, you know, a dice roll a little bit. So you could have like Ozzie Smith hit 300 or he could hit 215. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see like the defense and pitching teams against the, the slugging teams. Uh, and, and see what happens. And so I think the problem is going to be for me to tune it so that, uh, say, modern, you know, like we use bullpens very differently in 2015 than they used in 1985. And so the question is, will the modern bullpens kind of blow away the 1985 bullpens that were built on, you know, kind of failed starters that didn't have the strikeout per inning stuff, uh, maybe, that they do now? Um, I mean, Lee Smith did exist in 1985, but there weren't a lot of relief pitchers like that that were specialists and coming in to, you know, save the game. Dan Quisenberry. Uh, yeah, Quisenberry. It's going to be a lot of fun to see, like, Quisenberry, you know, versus the guys now. I think that what the game does capture well is uh, pitchers who pitched in eras that were not uh, strikeout-oriented. Um, it does a good job of balancing them by giving them, like, insane control, you know, uh, ratings so that it kind of balances out. You can have ground ball pitchers and, and fly ball pitchers. So that'll be really curious to see the dead ball, or I guess compared to today anyway, almost like dead ball pitchers that were, you know, uh, barely striking out two batters for, for uh, one walk against these guys that are coming out there and striking out nine guys, you know, per nine innings, but walking two or three. Uh, so I think that's going to be the, the matchup. That's what I want to see is, is just uh, where does it go? Um, but I always love being reminded about the guys that I, I grew up watching uh, that were you know, maybe a little bit over the hill when I started watching them, like George Brett, Wade Boggs, uh, those kind of players. But they're going to be, you know, in some of their best years uh, or in the, the one best years is 85 when I do the simulation. So it should be fun to, to check out and I'm see curious, how they size up. And I'm curious how this works, because as Sam Miller says all the time, baseball didn't even exist before 88. So I'm curious how this is actually <laughs> going to work out. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh, amazing what I don't know about anybody <laughs> who played baseball before 1988. So, Well, uh, when do you think the article, uh, when are you going to play these games and when do you think the article is going to be up? Because I'm curious. I'm going to try to run the, the simulation and get it going today and tomorrow. I have to go watch a exciting movie tomorrow night. But um, uh, by Tuesday, which is when the, the special, I think, launches for, uh, for Out of the Park Baseball. So we're going to try to put it up on Tuesday. And you guys can check out uh, my uh, my version of, of you know this alternate history. So we're point, talking pre Christmas, pre New Year's, then. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Before the end of the year, we got to get get that up and running. Uh, I think it's a Christmas special. So if we're gonna make any money off it, which I'm sure we won't, because I get about sixty to seventy hits on things I write, uh, we got to make it now. So well, I'm gonna put the uh, the full uh, hype machine of the podcast behind it right now. So wonderful out. OOTP, uh, Nick's article will be coming out. I'm sure we'll be hyping it like crazy. And uh, so definitely check it out uh, here, hopefully sometime uh, before the new year. So definitely. All right. Uh, next topic. Uh, we're going to go a little lighter the next uh, the next couple topics here. Uh, we are getting in the holiday spirit just a tiniest, tiniest bit uh, as we're ending uh, the 2015 year. I, I wanted to ask you guys, what was the saddest transaction Baseball transaction, obviously, uh, from your childhood, and um, this is a, this is it's an open ended question on purpose, but uh, 
it'll allow us to walk down memory lane. So I, I think Ross had a couple of good ones or a couple off uh, the top of his head. I want to uh, I want to start with Ross if I can. Well, as I said at the top, I'm I'm a Brewers fan, and I'm uh, I just turned 26 about a month ago now. So if you can kind of trace the timeline back, you'll realize that the Brewers were terrible for most of my formative years of watching baseball. So almost all the transactions were of the selling off, hoping to rebuild, only they didn't really do it right. And uh, there, there were three I was trying to decide between. It was uh, the first two. The first one that came to the top of my head is when the Brewers traded away uh, Richie Sexton to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Oh, yeah. But then looking, looking back at it, I mean, there were some fun guys that came back. I, they got counsel. They got Lyle Overbase. You know, that one turned out all right. And I was like, oh, yeah, Lyle Overbase. I was like, that was a bummer when they traded him to the Blue Jays. But then even again, I was like, well, they got Dave Bush, who was a decent starter for us for a while, and Zach Jackson that helped land CC Sabathia. So I was like, oh, that's not too bad. But then the ultimate one I finally thought about was uh, Jeremy Burnett, who oh. I think is the, <laughs> the ultimate of the uh, – back when the Brewers were terrible, about all they had were big, rotund sluggers that just could knock the ball way out of the park. And I think Jeremy Burnett kind of personified that the best. I know he was one of the guys in the uh, – was it the 99th uh, home run derby contest at uh, – Fenway, he obviously didn't make it because he had guys like McGuire and Griffey that really put on a show. But in 2002, he was probably he was my so he was my first favorite player on the Brewers in uh 2002. So I think I was I don't know probably just turned 12. The Brewers traded him to the as part of a three way deal to the New York Mets, and the main piece they got back is Glendon Rush. So not only did the Brewers trade away my favorite player. The best piece they got back was a very mediocre starting pitcher, who I think was better known in Milwaukee for the fact that he was our pitcher that, you know, the token pitcher that could hit a bomb if somebody left a curveball up to him than anything he actually did on the mound. So I think that was probably the saddest transaction from my uh, from my youth. Yeah, your favorite player going for a sixth starter is kind of tough. Yeah. I love the O and Jeremy, too. That was the best. I love that as a kid. Yeah. Burnett's is awesome. Yeah, I, I love Jason Burnett's play, too, actually, even though not a Brewers fan. He had one season with the Cubs, but uh, we already knew who he was by that point, I think. I mean, he was the, the three Cubs. true outcome without the walks before three true outcome was kind of a thing. He was more like oh, a yeah, two true outcome, but still, I mean. <laughs> yep, that, that, that kind of personified the... Uh, the only real uh, same thing with Richie Sexton. He was kind of the uh, a three true outcome slugger that he didn't really walk at all. But <laughs> two and a half, that, that was, anyways. Yeah, two and a half. Yeah. That was that was the Brewers from about uh, ninety seven, ninety eight when I finally figured out that Milwaukee and Green Bay were in the same state. Till uh, you know, Antonasio finally when Antonasio bought the team in 05, they started showing some promise and had great farm system so there wasn't a lot of light at the end of the tunnel and <laughs> I, I think it was 03 just a couple of years later was the year they lost 106 games so it was uh yeah not a fun time to be a Brewers fan I like the answer though I will say I don't like your pain but I like the answer so uh Nick uh same one but I so I'm a little little older and I started following the Cubs in the 80s so when they traded Lee Smith, I was pretty disappointed. He was the first baseball player that I really knew by name and that I was a, a big fan of. And so that was that was kind of sad. He he went to, uh, I guess it was uh, Boston, I, I believe, at the time. And Cubs didn't get much back. Um, and that was 1987. So thankfully that year is, uh, or that was after 87, I guess. Thankfully, Dawson had just won the MVP. And then I think, I guess, second status was when Dawson left for free agency. And, and I understood at that point that he really needed to go play in the American League where he could DH because his knees were uh, already a huge problem. But <laughs> it, it was just sad to lose you know, my, my two favorite Cubs that became my, my favorite players. The first two players I really followed as a 
baseball fan. Both left in short order. And when you're only 10, 11 years old, that's uh, half half of the years I'd been following baseball or, or more than half the years I've been following baseball were encompassed by those two guys. So that was that was pretty tough. Um, and at that age, you don't really understand what well, we need to rebuild. So we need to trade your favorite player for some guy who's in double A. You don't really right, understand right. that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And even then, you know, the hard part, the, the Cubs in the early 90s, it's when the Chicago Tribune decided they knew how to run a baseball team. And so oh, they didn't yes. have great GMs during that you know period until Andy McPhail came around. They just didn't really have strong GMs, I think, that had a strong voice in the front office because they, they ran off uh, green. So, um, oh, yeah. yeah, it was it was sad. And I only know that in hindsight now, you know, 20 years later, looking back. So mm. um, tough times. I don't know. How about you, Ryan? Uh, this was tougher for me, but, uh, the one that really, there, there were two that really stood out. Uh, one was when, and this wasn't a childhood, so I'm cheating and this is why it's not my f- final answer. But when Teixeira signed with the Yankees a while ago, it was rumored that he was going to Washington. He's coming to Washington. He's coming to Washington. Hometown guy. We've offered him the most money. This can be the first big step in the franchise. And then the Yankees jumped in and signed him for the most money. Now, looking back, in hindsight, it was probably better off for certainly the franchise, but that was one of those where you were like, yeah, we're going to suck for another couple of years, and this is not <laughs> going to be fun. At least if Teixeira came in, you're like, well, he's one of the best players in baseball, and if he comes, then maybe we'll get somebody else, and maybe we won't lose 103 games again this year. So that one that one was really tough, but I was not a child. Oh. So, uh, Right. But, if, I, go ahead. if I might interject. That also caused me pain because that was back in the old type A, type B free agency. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Yankees also signed CC Sabathia off of the Brewers that offseason. That's right. Mark yeah, yeah. was the number one free agent. CC Sabathia was number two. So the Angels got the Yankees' first round pick, which was 24th overall. Which is great. Who, yeah. who turned into Mike Trout. Oh, jeez. No, no, Trout went 25. Oh, 25? Yeah, Grychuk went 24th. 24th. Okay. Same idea. Same idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Brewers picked 26th in that draft and were connected to Mike Trout a lot beforehand. And we ended up drafting Eric Garnett, who flamed out of uh, professional baseball. Yep. Flamed out of pro ball three years later. So, uh, that one also caused me some pain. Oh, I remember Eric Burnett. He was a good pitcher at Indiana. God, I remember that name. That's funny. Uh, I think he got hurt. He did. He showed up. He showed up to camp the next year, throwing like eighty nine when he had been at ninety four, ninety five at Indiana. So, yeah, that's wow. There's a walk down memory lane. But uh, to answer the question, uh, and not to to belabor my point, uh, or belabor it, uh, probably when Messina left Baltimore and went to the Yankees. That was kind of the final nail. I, I started just focusing on girls in college and beer and, and some of the fun at that point when that signing happened. That was kind of the last straw for me when Angela's let him out of, you know, let him out of Baltimore and, and, you know, a future Hall of Famer. Now, looking back, it probably turns out that he wanted to leave more than, you know, he, you know, that it was anything Angela's did. But that was probably the uh, probably the toughest one. And that was I was about 17, 18, 19 years old when that happened. And that was really kind of. Like, okay, the Yankees just dominate baseball. We've got no chance kind of thing. And it just kind of made me a frustrated fan, I guess is the way to put it. Just real quick, do you think Messina should be in the Hall of Fame? I'm just curious to hear your – I didn't realize your connection there. but Oh, I think he should walk into the Hall of Fame. I think okay. he was so I think he was so much better than people realized. He played on so many bad Orioles teams for so many years and won so many games and had so many one-hitters. And so, he was just such a great player and – at that point in time, Camden Yards was an absolute bandbox. It plays a little fairer now for whatever reason, but that place, the ball just flew out of there at that time. So, yeah, I think he should be. Uh, nobody's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I think he should walk in. And if it makes He's you feel better, bad uh, man. Yeah. I was going to tell Ross, it makes you feel better. Uh, the Cubs didn't have a shot at Mike Trout because they signed Milton Bradley. So they didn't even get Ooh. into the uh, situation where they could have even. Yeah, draft him if they wanted to. Milton Bradley's the guy that didn't believe in dinosaurs. Is that him? I, maybe. Or was that Carl <laughs> Everett? No, no, it was Carl Everett. No, that's who it oh, was. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
Milton Bradley was also kind of crazy. Oh, he was completely crazy. That's why you you can love him now. Or he went to jail recently for abuse. It's it's you know unfortunate, but um, yeah, not not a good person. He makes a great board game though. Hey oh, oh. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, all right, guys, one last question before we get out of here. Um, I'm going to ask this in the holiday spirit, although it doesn't have to be a holiday or a Christmas present, but uh, the best or the worst uh, baseball-themed, I'll say Christmas holiday gift, but if you got it at a birthday or whenever you got it, just the best baseball-themed gift you've ever gotten. If either one of you guys wants to start, go ahead. Well, uh, my dad got us tickets to the Cubs convention when I was about 10, maybe, 10 or 11. So maybe like the 90 to 91 convention, uh, which was uh, not a great Cubs team. I think they had just signed George Bell. Ooh. Uh, it was like their big acquisition, uh, which turned out well for them later because they traded him for Sosa. But uh, I got to go up to Chicago and, and spend a whole weekend at the Cubs convention. And it was it's one of the best experiences of my life. And, and uh, I think, you know, at the time I was just really excited because I would see the advertisements for it on WGN every year. And uh, now I'm just kind of get emotional about it because it's the weekend with my dad, you know, like chasing around Cubs players and um, saw Andre Dawson stay in his uh, autograph session like an hour and a half beyond what he was scheduled for. Uh, I didn't quite make it to get his autograph, but I wasn't even in the room when he got up there and he stayed so long that I was almost made it to the stage by the time he, uh, you know, finally they dragged him out of there so that other players could get in and get out. But I just made a big impression on me uh, in terms of my respect for him and just a, an awesome memory with my my dad getting to go up there and, and, you know, do that together. That's that's great, man. That's that's one of the more touching stories we've had on the show. That That's really cool. That's a great memory. Yeah. Uh, Ross, I don't know how we're going to compete with that one, but uh, same question to you, bud. Yeah, I kind of wish I had gone first now. Uh, probably Sorry. for me it was, uh, oh, that's fine. That's a great story. Um, I played, you know, played in baseball when I was younger. Uh, I never really asked much for uh, baseball-related gifts, but um, it wasn't even for my. Uh, it wasn't Christmas for my birthday, but my parents took me to um, and oh, I can't remember what year it was. I know it wasn't oh no, it must have been oh three when we were actually horrendous. The one bright spot the Brewers had was uh, Scott Pesednik out of nowhere turned into this base stealing machine when he finally got some uh, consistent playing time. And they, the Brewers, this was one of the very first years as their gimmick where they this. did the all, the all fan giveaway bobbleheads. So my parents surprised me and my brother to take me down for a uh, Paul Molitor bobblehead day. And not only to get so we could see Scott Pesednik, since he was, you know, at that time, you know, he kind of, after Sexton was gone, filled the void of favorite brewer for a couple years and we were we were a little bummed because we were supposed to see Dontrell Willis pitch but then he ended up having like a blister or something and got pushed back a day but I just think yeah that and I think that was for my brother's birthday that we got those because the game was in late August that we went to and he's uh his birthday is in September so that's probably why we they ended up our my, our parents ended up surprising us with that one so do you still have the bobblehead Yes, I do. All uh, right. It's actually still. Now uh, I have two of them actually, because my uh, back then what the brewers would do is you'd have, you know, the forty thousand bobbleheads. It'd be thirty-five thousand of them would be just whatever the jersey, the normal home home jersey, and then there'd be a few thousand of the nineteen eighty-two throwback powder blue with the ball and glove M and B logo, and. We got confused about where Will Call was, so we ended up walking around outside the stadium for a while because that was the first time uh, we had gone after Miller Park was built that we didn't like print our tickets at home or something like that. So because of the confusion with the timing, my brother pulled one of the uh, throwback jersey bobbleheads in his uh, with his. So he ended up he actually gave that to me uh, a few years ago just because he. Um, he was moving down to Indiana. It was just like, I mean, this thing's cool, but like, I was always the bigger Brewer fan, so he figured I'd enjoy it more. So not only do I have the one I got, so I have two of them, and one of them being the special throwback jersey edition. So that's fantastic. That's awesome. I love that, it. That's really cool. Yep. So how about you, Ryan? 
Oh, this is tough. Um, once again, I'm probably a little older when this happened, but uh, my dad was my best man at my wedding, and um, this happened, goodness, about eight years ago now. So, um, and, and at Christmas the year before I was going to get married, uh, my dad kind of gave me a little envelope or you know some kind of a thing in my stocking, and it just said that we were going to be going with my buddies and his buddies to uh, up to Fenway for my bachelor party. And so, um, long and the short, that was a big surprise. I didn't know we were going to be doing anything like that. He had kept it a pretty big secret of what we were going to be doing. So then when I opened it and found out that, you know, in a few months during the season, we were going to be going up to Fenway and, you know, just blowing it out, so to speak, uh, that, that was really exciting. And then, uh, fast forward to the game that we went to and it was King Felix on the mound against Bartolo Colon, which I'll never forget for the, just the humor and the irony of seeing those two guys on the mound at the same time. And so uh, that was probably the coolest baseball-related gift I've ever gotten, for sure. That's pretty exciting. I, Fenway, I don't have a bucket list, but if I did, Fenway would be on it. It's so, very cool. Uh, Wrigley is mine. That's the one I want to get to in 2016 if I can. It's going to be a fun year to go. So. Yeah, exactly. And or you can go see them the Nationals. That's true. Good point, Ross. Because uh, I, I went to the couple games I've gone to were pre-renovation and Wrigley Field's got the nostalgia, but there was definitely some quirks about it that uh, you could tell were only there because it was a ballpark from 100 years ago that <laughs> never had a major overhaul. Same way with Fenway, yeah, exactly. So, mm-hmm. all right, guys. Well, that was uh, that was a really fun show. Um, I really enjoyed uh, talking to you guys and catching up. Uh, obviously, I'd love to give you a spot here just to remind everybody where they can find you on Twitter where they can find your work if it, besides Banished to the Pen and all that good stuff. So um, start alphabetical again. Why not? Uh, Ross, say goodbye to the internet, I guess. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I've been re-listening to, uh, or I've been listening to Up and In over the off-season to fill the baseball void. So much like the professor, goodbye the internet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Absolutely nothing better than just at- the episodes with Kevin's <laughs> mom had- are the best of all time. They are absolutely priceless. Uh, so I also had a beer just in case we did an impromptu, uh, what are you drinking? So, <laughs> But uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ross Buckwitz, uh, really just on Banish's Pen for writing. I haven't written in a while. I've mostly been helping Ken out with uh, back-end stuff, like getting that uh, the shop set up and that kind of stuff, and being uh, the unofficial uh, I don't know, CFO of the site, I guess, <laughs> just having that uh professional expertise but yeah that's pretty much it well thank you again for coming on ross we appreciate it nick same thing uh so my name is nick strangis one last time and you can find me once again on banish to the pen pretty soon on twitter at caps orphans and if i may we have a a breaking non-revelatory uh matt albers rumor and i feel like since effectively wild might not be on this week we should just quick throw this out there if that's okay absolutely <laughs> the Mets do. are expected to show interest. Expected to show interest in Matt Albers for Adam Rubin. So that's your Matt Albers non-revelatory rumor update for the week, I guess. Wow. And, uh, yeah. That's the, doing this. It's been fun. that's the first rumor I've heard about Matt Albers, and I've heard nothing about Justin Upton. That tells you what's going on <laughs> in this market, right? That's great. Yeah, I didn't realize that. <laughs> that is definitely going to be part of the banter uh, tomorrow for uh, Ben and Sam. <laughs> On the parent podcast. And they'll ignore the twins yet again. And the Reds? Or no, that was uh, Kevin and the Professor that never talked about the Reds. Oh, that's right. They hated the Reds. Yeah, they hate the Reds for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably the chili. Yeah. Don't hate. Cincinnati chili is awesome. I'm standing firm on the Cincy chili is good. I just expect it to taste like uh, spaghetti since it kind of looks like it. And it, it always blows my mind that it tastes nothing like it. So... That is a good point. That 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 actually should be kind of on the sales pitch. It looks like spaghetti, but it's not. <laughs> so, all right, guys, uh, with that horrible joke, uh, I think I'm going to try to wrap it up here for the show and uh, for this week. Thank you so much, both uh, Ross and Nick, for joining me. And uh, we'll have to have you guys on uh, sometime in the new year. Talk to you all then. Sounds good, Ryan. Thanks. 
And that was episode 42 of the Banish to the Pen podcast with my guest, Ross Buckowitz and Nick Strancius. I want to thank both of those guys as I did for uh, coming on. And uh, that was a lot of fun. I had a great time uh, covering a couple of subjects with them. So uh, thanks again for coming on. Also, as I do each week, uh, I want to quickly thank everybody involved in Banish to the Pen, the writers, the editors, the technical staff, the support staff, everybody involved in Banish to the Pen. We're, uh, we really put out a great product each and every day, and I'm very proud of both the podcast work that we're doing and especially uh, the stuff that we're doing on the site as well, the, the writing uh, and the excellent column work that's being done. Also, if I could give one quick plug, uh, we've got some merch at the uh, Banish to the Pen site. So uh, look around a little bit for that. But we've got some very, very good-looking shirts and uh, coffee mugs. So if you need to do some uh, last-minute holiday shopping, maybe that could help you uh, look pretty good uh, to your family and friends. So uh, check out the merch as well. That is it for Episode 42. And if I could remind you, be nice to your fellow listener.